Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Fiber Coven. We are so excited to be here chatting with each other and chatting with you about some yarny stuff and some witchy stuff. We don't have any news this week, so I guess we can jump right into our finished objects. And we both finished stuff. I guess we should introduce ourselves. I'm Lauren from Valkyrie Fibers. And I'm Emily from Kitty with a Cupcake. And my lovely assistant is building some IKEA furniture in the background. So if you hear like little sounds, that's what that is. They painted the hallway, so I can't send her into the paint-smelling hallway. That's fair. Sweet. We both finished things this week, um, and we're wearing them. Wow! Look at us. Yeah. Tell me about yours. Yours is a bigger one. Mine is my Mama sweater. This is by uh, Pippin Pin Knits, and it's knit in Junk Yarn Penelope. And it's my first fingering weight cardigan ever. And it took longer than I thought it was going to. But it's done now. It looks really good. Um, it does. I'm going to wear this all the time. This is going to be the most useful sweater in my wardrobe, hands down. It drapes really nice. I love the way this, yeah, where the sleeves hit. They hit just below the elbow and then the bottom of it. It's cute, right? It's super cute. Yeah. Yeah, the bottom hits right around the tuckus. The fit, it looks cozy. It's it is lovely. Cozy. The whole like body is the like slip stitch little brioche thingy. Mm-hmm. Um, sleeves are stocking it. So yeah, you could fix it closed with a shawl pin if you wanted. Yeah, yeah, I could. I could do like something like that. It's definitely made to wear open. Like it is not mm-hmm. a fully closing cardigan, but I really like this. It shows off this part of my outfit Mm -hmm. Uh, and I am going to throw it on and wear it at shows when my little arms are cold all the time it's fantastic I love it I finished my Kino cowl which is a Star Wars inspired cowl designed by 50 Fathom Knit this was a test knit um it's fantastic. I learned, well, I learned Intarsia for this project. I think it's pretty good. It's got a little folded edge at both the top and bottom of the cowl. It's got some lateral braids, which look intimidating, but they were pretty easy to accomplish. And then it's got some designs in a glowing white and a bright orange that were inspired by the prison uniforms in the prison arc of Andor season one, which is a phenomenal television show that I love. And it's got a little drawstring at the top with these really cool, like cube shaped spacey Uh, stoppers. I really like them. Yeah. Yeah. For it, come with those, right? Yes. So I'm selling kits for these. They are currently available in my Etsy shop and the kit has all the yarn you need. So it'll be a hundred gram skein of the main color, which is a light, cool gray, and then a 50 gram skein each of the white and the orange, as well as two little QB shaped stoppers. So everything but the pattern is included in the kit and the pattern will debut on August 14th. Yay. That looks a little promo-y, but I'll repeat it all again as... What do we actually do promo? I also finished my last skein of my I chaos theory. A nerd convention we're going to in January. I can wear this to a nerd convention. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Yes. Anyway, anyway, I've I finished my last skein of my chaos theory spin. I spun a full pound of fiber for this, and this is the last skein, and I am stoked on it. Wow. It's a nice decade of worsted weight. It's got it's dark and grungy with little flecks of color. It is everything I dreamed it would be. And I'm excited to start finishing up my chaos tube. Nice. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even like 
I I washed it and I caked it right up. Mm-hmm. It makes me really happy. Awesome. Sweet. Well, what are you working on, friend? Um, I have worked a bit on my Mount Pleasant top, which because apparently mm-hmm. I only knit things by Pip and Pin Knits now. And- well, I mean, that's a, if you're only going to knit from one designer, that's a good one. The designs are cute. They're size inclusive. Yep. Yep. They, I have been liking that the pieces I have made from her designs like fit me really well. So I feel mm-hmm. pretty safe in making garments from them. So this is <laughs> so delightful. My third Mount Pleasant top. This is the one I'm doing in Junk Yarns Cotton Fingering. Uh, the peach is He's Just Ken. And the lavender is She's a Mermaid. My needle is untwisting. There we go. But yeah, I have, I'm in the Just Vanilla portion of this design. It has a lovely little lace bit at the end, which I added some color contrast to that I think turned out really cute. And my plan is to use that lavender contrast for the ribbing. But yeah, I'm just doing plain vanilla right now and have worked on it's it quite of, a bit. It's going to make whoever wears it feel like a beautiful, delicious cupcake. Yeah. And like looking at it, I think it's going to maybe fit me. It's going to depend on like how it blocks out. But if it doesn't fit mm-hmm. me, I think it's just going to become a shop sim- sample for junk yarn because it'll be a really cute easy one to pack for shows and stuff Mm -hmm. so unless Mm -hmm. you want it but i know you already have one of these and these maybe aren't colors you would like yeah it doesn't really fit with my wannabe goth aesthetic Mm -hmm. she said wearing her like prison jumpsuit cowl and ramon's t-shirt from the early aughts (laughs) but yeah so this is nice and honestly this is the only cotton that i have enjoyed knitting with like Mm -hmm. not to like promo Kemper right now but this fingering base is like really soft and nice and it doesn't have that like hard cotton feeling I'm interested to try the DK because it is that much thicker that it might you know like Mm -hmm. you know it makes your like hands tired to knit with Mm -hmm. but I do want to try weaving with it too oh yeah that that's a great idea so that is how that's going and it's just vanilla tube for a long time now and the other thing I've worked a lot on is some quilting stuff, Ooh. Uh, which I have in many little plastic containers here. I haven't done the finishing on my hexagon quilted bag because I did all the finishing on this sweater. And mm-hmm. that was like enough of that for my brain this week to weave in all the ends and do all the final blocking construction bits of the sweater. I didn't want to sit down at the sewing machine, really. Um but I have been prepping a lot of little shapes for my quilting project that is the Willow Bee quilt pattern uh, by Tales of the Tales from the Cloth. Yeah, Tales from the Cloth. And it is a eight-star pointed work quilt. Yeah, patchwork star thing. And you but- are going to hand sew all the blocks and then machine sew and quilt them together. Indeed. That's such a commitment. Yeah, it's fun though. And I'm not, I'm not like, I need to finish this by a specific date. It's just like fun to work on. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I have been making a bunch of shapes. I have a bunch, I have a bunch more of these at home, the little diamonds. Mm -hmm. And I have also made a bunch of triangles. Mm -hmm. As those go in the corners. Uh, And I got some, I ordered some charm packs 
um, mm-hmm. from Fat Quarter Shop that are all like Ruby Star Society prints. Like this is cute little king. Oh, fun. And they're nice because they're just five inch squares mm-hmm. uh, in a bunch of different fabrics. So they're great for this little scrappy quilt because I was at first I was like, I have a bunch of quilting cotton, but I don't have that much for like this level of scrappy quilts because I'm not mm-hmm. like a, I'm not like a quilter. I don't have like a ton of scraps. Um, mm-hmm. So I needed more to like get me going. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's very fun to make little shapes, make cute little fabrics, and it's fun to test out lots of different fabric patterns. That is a really nice instant gratification of making a shape. Mm-hmm. And then each block in your quilt is going to be unique. Yes, exactly. And then I also made a bunch, I'm doing the background color in this one fabric, so I made a bunch of these mm-hmm. background triangles. And I have started sewing some together. Yay! I have little bees. And the pattern suggests making all of these first and then Mm -hmm. piecing them together so as to space out your colors. There's no way in hell I'm doing that. I'm not sewing 500 of these and then doing squares together. But But it makes sense to pair a a dark and a light. Yeah, I've been doing that and I've been like trying to use a variety of fabrics and I figure I could do this for a while and then I'll want satisfaction of finishing a block. Uh, So how you piece Mm -hmm. it is you do these two and then you connect in the middle to make a four and then you attach two of these together down the middle. Mm -hmm. Then you go in and you put your corners, which this is going to be so satisfying to make it all shapes gonna make my little neurodivergent brain really happy it's giving me flashbacks to your touche triangle pattern which i've knit several of that deeply satisfying connecting of corners kind of like in the vertices unite pattern by stephen west as well Mm -hmm. yeah i love it so yeah that is my uh little little polygrounds happening but yeah, so it. there's no way I'm just, I've decided like I can't just do all of these two just mm-hmm. forever. That will drive me nuts. So I'm just doing a bunch and like, I think the way that I'll space out my colors successfully is that I just like won't sew all of these into blocks and I'll like have some and like kind of rotate. I also mm-hmm. feel that like as a quilter, it's probably like intimidating to them to space out their colors over time, like top-down kind of style but that's like how you make a scrappy project in knitting and crochet so I feel that I am good at like saving some different colors and like fabrics that I like more for the end instead of like using them all up front but you can also just make the blocks and then arrange the larger blocks in any orientation when you're ready to make the top the quilt top yep so yeah that's my that's my spiel. And I have my little mini art bin mm-hmm. boxes because the um, the shapes, once you make them, because these are just glued down, like based mm-hmm. to the paper pieces, uh, mm-hmm. it behooves you to keep them flat. Because if you like throw them in a project bag and they're getting like bendy, the like little edges are going to undo and then you're going to lose all of your hard work of basting them so I'm keeping them mm-hmm. in like glorified little Tupperwares basically I know I asked this last time and I'm going to ask it again the paper comes out right the paper does 
not have to come out. So traditionally the paper comes out, but I am using perfect piecing paper, um, mm. which I actually, I have the, the thing back there. It can go through the printer. So I have been printing my shape templates through my printer, mm. which is amazing because I don't have to like measure out these little shapes mm-hmm. that I'm making with like a protractor and stuff because that would be too much for me. <laughs> um, yeah. So I just print it through the paper. I printed a bunch of them in advance and I have them in a little folder in my bigger quilting box. And this stuff is basically like fabric interfacing. Nice. You can leave it in. Mm. If you want. I have So if you're using regular paper for writing it comes out but if you're using special paper for quilted projects it can stay in got it and the the paper i it wasn't actually paper the 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 paper that i used for the hexagon bag that isn't done yet that is actually a fabric insert so Mm -hmm. that's really staying in there but this is paper uh, but yeah, it feels kind of like freezer paper. Uh, if you've ever used fusible interfacing, it's very mm-hmm. similar to that. This isn't a fusible, so it's not going to iron in there. But it can stay in there and lend extra stiffness to the quilt if you want it to be in there. And it will soften up and wash over time and just kind of like join together with this fabric. I'm thinking that I'm just going to leave it in because I think that trying to take out thousands of those sounds like a huge pain in my ass so I don't think I'm gonna do that but if a lot of people like to like take out these like back basted scenes and like iron them flat before they piece the quilt together I just don't see myself doing that Mm -hmm. yeah cue the audio of like how are they gonna know yeah who's gonna know who's gonna know how are they gonna Um, know Yeah. So you can see that the little flappies are just kind of like back here on these like sewn together Mm -hmm. ones. So my plan and like, I'm literally going to finish this like years from now. Right. But my plan is that I am just going to leave those and like iron them flat back here instead of like undoing them to totally flatten them. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Usually you snip corners like pretty close and you don't need to trim them because it's a quilt. So this is this is not going to be the back side. Yeah. Right? Like there is going to be a batting. There's going to be a backing mm-hmm. fabric. And these are always going to be inside. And you sew but, over the top of it anyway. Yeah, but that's going to make lots of extra layers when you're doing the quilting step. And it might right. bog down your machine. Well, I am not going to do the quilting step. There's no fun. Oh. I'm going to send it to a long arm quilter. Fair. That's somebody else's problem. I hear you. I'm going to pay someone to do this. It is so valid. 10 years from now. <laughs> so valid. <laughs> yeah. Oh that, my goodness. that is definitely a thing that people who are really into quilting do. Like that is a service yeah. that they provide. And I am mm-hmm. happy to be accepting of that service because I just like do not see myself getting a long arm machine and doing that i'm not gonna like that no Mm -hmm. i think that that little the little kit i got for the pride thing because that's only like two feet wide or Mm -hmm. whatever i probably am gonna quilt over the top of that myself um Mm -hmm. because i don't 
want to have to pay someone for that. And it's not a full blanket size, but I, mm-hmm. I don't see myself quilting a full blanket size. It's not fun. I've only done it once and I was just stitching in the ditch. Yeah. And it, it, it wouldn't be that for this. So no, I do have a f- acquaintance who has a whole quilting, like attic like they have a whole room of their house that is mm-hmm. just for quilting with like giant cutting t- like that is like their craft that they do um and they have like giant cutting tables and like they have several long arm machines and stuff so i might see if like she wants to like be paid to do that and i could like watch her do mm-hmm. that and see what it's like so mm-hmm. we'll see i think it's yeah. very possible that i will finish another blanket quilt before this project is done like like it is very possible that I will like that little pride flag kit and make some other quilts by machine mm-hmm. before this is done. Mm-hmm. That's Emily talks too much about quilting hour. It's fun. We like it. We like learning new crafts, but I'm going to tell you about what I'm working on now. Yeah. Tell me. Well, I have this cute little mushroom bag by an indie designer. Who's pretty rad. Kitty with a cupcake. It's my little project bag. <laughs> I'm doing it. If you like it, go get it now. <laughs> Even the mushies? I'm just continuing all of that style of bag. Okay, fair. Um, So I've made a good amount of progress since last week. This is just scrappy. This is the Noombat Cowl by Nori Chan Knits. Uh, in It uses 20 gram minis, but I had more like 15 gram scraps. So I'm doing more repeats of alternations between the little uh, braided sections and the striped sections, which is fun. I'm actually working in my scraps of Totally Hair Barbie from Junk Yarn right now, which is making me happy. It is what that is. I'm ready to add the pocket in though. So I'm kind of at one of those like not not a decision point but at a point where i have to like change up the established routines this one's actually been sitting for a couple days but uh it's just going to be a tubular cowl and um it's going to have a little pocket in it and i'm pretty stoked on that very nuts yeah yeah i was having a fun time with that and then the only other project i've really been working on is uh my mosaic crochet temperature blanket Mm. which grows every week (laughs) yeah the um august pattern is called japanese pagoda and i actually really like it it looks very pagoda ish Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, yeah so it's pretty pretty fun lots of oranges because the weather's been really nice it's been high 70s low 80s which is oranges and the lows have been in the 40s which are these like turquoisey blue greens Man, I wish Harlow's were in the 40s. <laughs> that is not what they are. I live in a ski resort town. Yeah. Our low is 67 today, and that's, like, pretty good for what it's been. Yeah, I leave my windows open and it gets cold at night. Wow. But you yeah. live in the winter. I need to remind you. I, I did have snow berms that were taller than people this winter. It was insanity. It was too much. Yeah. Yeah. So that's fun. I'm going to have to die up some more of those as I run out because our temperatures are pretty consistent. It's been a really nice August so far. Usually August is warmer. Mm-hmm. 
you say? That's really uh, all I've been working on. I'm excited to start some new things. I'm just kind of in the process of like finishing out some of my other things. Like I'm making, I'm putting in squares in my scrap blanket for, for this project. And um, I'm mentally preparing myself for lots of other projects because I'm involved in lots of collaborations and projects that you can hear all about in office hours, which is our kind of spinoff podcast. That's just for patrons. I will have a lot to talk about there. Yeah. I had like a little bit of an existential crisis about finishing the sweater. Cause that's like mostly what I've been working on. So now I'm like, I don't know what to devote my energy to. Ah! I mean, you uh, have had this quilt. It went across. in shapes. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I think that I, so I need to re-knit the cotton candy macaron shawl mm-hmm. before I release it. And Kemper gave me some yarn to do it as like a sample. So I think that I'm going to write the chart and like test knit my own pattern <laughs> for that. Yeah, I was thinking of doing that too. I was talking with Shoba from Serendipitous Wool and we're going to do a little Star Wars swap. And she had a Lando Calrissian inspired sock set that might be coming my way. So I was thinking one of your one of your macaron shawls would be perfect for that. Nice. Well, if you don't like the existing ones, you can help test the cotton candy one with me. <laughs> yes, we'll figure it out when I get that Lando yarn in my hot little hands. It's all purples and yellows and I'm oh. very excited. I love Lando Calrissian. Fun fact, I was billed as Lorendo Calrissian in the Star Wars fan film that was made in the early aughts that oh, I was in. Nice. <sighs> anyway, which is funny because I was the one token minority in that as well. Mm. <laughs> it was the suburbs of Sacramento in the early aughts. It was a time. So many cargo pants. <laughs> anyway, changing topics completely. Jumping into a cult corner. Mm-hmm. Since we tackled the very incredible in all meanings of that word, life of Helena Blavatsky, uh, we thought we'd talk about theosophy, the esoteric New Age religion that her and um, Henry Steele Olcott created, and uh, basically just talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> I. <laughs> On the top of my notes, I wrote, Theosophy, a mixed media collage of cultural appropriation. Yeah. You had a pithy <laughs> title as well. Oh, I don't remember. Did right. you know it? Oh, oh. it was uh, a choose your own adventure of Eastern religions. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that's very much what it is. And like, I want to kick it off by saying that like, learning from other cultures and being inspired by other cultures and being invited to participate in other cultural other cultures, traditions, and ways of thinking is a beautiful thing, but it takes a hard turn when you decide that you need to make it your own and sell it to people. Yeah. Yeah. Disclaimer. Learning from others is beautiful. Deciding that you're now a master of somebody else's culture is uh, problematic. Yeah. And yeah, we're going to talk about this later but there's like a schism in theosophy just so you know uh there's Mm -hmm. different branches from it but the og one the catholicism of (laughs) theosophy was founded by helena blavatsky and then a bunch of stuff branches out from there Mm -hmm. 
Yes. There is the big schism in the in Theosophy takes place in 1895 after Blavatsky's death. There is some infighting between Olcott, the other founder, and this guy named Judge. And Olcott and his section of followers stayed in India, which is where they uh, the main Theosophical Society was. And Judge, who I believe is Irish-American, basically took all the North American followers and set up all the North American and American branches of theosophy. And honestly, from there, it just got sloppy and splintered more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I I guess this is where we talk about our old buddy, Rudolph. Yeah. Rudolph Steiner. (laughs) Yeah. He was a theosophist in the early 1900s and he was the head of the lodge because they're patterned after they set up, set it up structurally like the Freemasons. It's honestly not unlike the Freemasons. The head of the German lodge is Rudolf Steiner. And in 1913, he branches off um, because his flavor of theosophy is more uh, Christianity focused. And that didn't really jive with the main branch of theosophy that was centered around a bunch of um, Western people living in India. Mm-hmm. And so they they parted ways somewhat amiably from what Wikipedia tells me. And he has his own flavor, which is called, I'm going to mess it up. Can you say it for me? Anthroposophy. Anthropo- yeah. He starts his... Anthroposophy. One of yeah. Them. Anthroposophical society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's more focused on Christianity. They believe in the Akashic Records, which is like the magic internet database in the sky that only special people can access. And they do homeopathy. And this is Germany in the early 1900s. And if you know any history, there's a couple world wars that go on in that time that like really jumble things up. And it is, there's, there's a big focus on, on what would grow into organic farming, which is, there's a lot of positive uh, components to anthroposophy, (laughs) but like any radical belief, uh, in a turbulent time period, it's going to attract a lot of radicals, both on the authoritarian right and the kind of like anti-authoritarian left. And there were many high-ranking Nazis that were supporters of Steiner's work and many who were uh, vehemently opposed to the Nazis who supported it as well. But that is a whole can of worms. That That's it. That's all we're talking about it for today. We're going to okay, jump we're back. We'll go back to... Theosophy, the root new age religion established by Blavatsky. All right, let's get into it. Did you have their little like tenants pulled up? I think I have it on my phone. Do you want me to pull it up? I have it. It, Okay. Sorry, I have a (laughs) hundred. To have a million tabs open. Yeah. Yeah. I have the three fundamental uh, propositions that are in the secret doctrine. And then there are another set of things. But the fundamental pro- propositions in the Secret Doctrine, which is a book that Blavatsky wrote, that like a bunch of the tenets of Theosophy come from. Number one, that there is an omnipresent, eternal, boundless, and immutable reality of which spirit and matter are complementary aspects. Basically, just like we are spiritual. That's like all that mm-hmm. that means. Uh, number two, that there is a universal law of curiosity or the evolution evolution through cyclic change 
So that is going to get into uh, borrowing some reincarnation kind of stuff from some Eastern religions. And then number three, that all souls are identical with the universal oversoul, which isn't its, itself an aspect of the unknown reality. We're all soul soup is basically that one. And there's yeah. one mega soul. Mm-hmm. It's a godlike thing. Yeah. And they also had um, some pretty good, like, tenants, I want to say, in their founding. But we all know how well people follow through on what they say. They had, like, three objects that were, this does come from Blavatsky, uh, one to form a nucleus of the universal brotherhood of humanity without discrimination of race, creed, sex, caste, or color. Two, to encourage the study of comparative religion, philosophy, and science. And three, to investigate unexplained laws of nature and the powers latent in human beings. And all that stuff on paper is is wonderful. Like, we all just want to learn and compare and not be uh, strictly ascribed to any one creed and not tell anybody in any one thing and that they want, you know, and they just believe that, like, people are capable of things we don't quite understand, which is all well and good i'm sure it can't go horribly wrong no (laughs) yeah yeah and they they were explicitly really political yeah and also really big on calling themselves that they are not a religion Mm -hmm. they are a religion just like how we define religions but they do not think that they are a religion they think that they are telling they use the word truth a lot and it's like they or they will call the idea the idea of God like a divine absolute instead of calling mm-hmm. their like over their main like God soul and like the idea that we're all souls, they say that's the absolute. So they yeah, they like to say that like a lot of kind of occulty esoteric religions, they like to say they're not a religion, but they totally are. They totally are. And like, I feel like the main themes that you see are intelligent design and hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Um, Like they don't believe that any one faith has written down like exactly how the like universal God or creator or maker, whatever you want to call it is, but they absolutely believe there is one and that it is guiding humanity and our planet in certain directions it's very much um intelligent design sort of a stuff uh can we talk about their symbol yeah it's a lot please a lot please google this people it is not as crazy as like the stuff crowley was into it's not as complicated but it is a real jumble it is bad graphic design yeah, the main, it's like an Ouroboros with a Star of David with an onk in the center and a little thing, at the, a little circle at the top with a swastika in it. And like, and an ohm above that. Oh, no, it's so much. It's, and I mean, they didn't, this, the swastika wasn't that when they made it, but, but it, mm, it did not age well. No, <laughs> no, it's it's pretty it's pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. What can we say? Do we want to talk about the hidden masters now? Yeah, this is a big part of their beliefs is that there are these hidden masters, which are they're basically like super beings almost uh, that are like they're so 
you know, enlightened or whatever you Achieving, have achieved nirvana or something. Yeah, like that. they're like super spiritually aware. And they the their like idea for how these guys form kind of sounds a bit like the show Sensate to me. Like they kind of just like wake up into their own like clairvoyance or whatever. And they can, mm-hmm. they can be like anywhere in the world, but it says that they centralize around Tibet. Mm-hmm. Which we learned about Helena Blavatsky loving to say that she went to Tibet. And her like mentor people that she like allegedly was talking to are like the two main of these hidden masters that Yasafi mm-hmm. references. So Kuhumi and Master Moria. Um mm-hmm. may or may not have been people. <laughs> and these like hidden masters are what we would in current New Age parlance probably refer to as like channelers or gurus and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And they, I mean, they could do like a lot of like superhuman things, right? It's like they thought that they had mm-hmm. extra long lives. They thought that they could project their body, like to communicate with someone to a different location. Um, mm-hmm. Just lo- lots of super, I mean, like literal superpowers, right? And they also believe that several biblical figures in the Bible were these masters such as like abraham moses solomon jesus so that is like they they kind of borrow figures from other religions uh and Mm -hmm. say well they're actually part of our religion because they were these masters they say this about buddha and confucius as well to be fair that is a pretty strong northern european tradition in norse mythology it was common when you uh, assimilated with your neighbors, uh, be that forcibly or not, that their gods joined your pantheon. And that's kind of just that on a more global scale. Um, and I do love how Blavatsky predicted like a Messiah figure that they called the world teacher. That one I thought was pretty funny on like a con con level because Whenever any new religion predicts a messiah, it is always the person creating this new religion, or it is somebody they can control easily, usually a child. Yeah. And I mean, this comes up in fiction a lot too. But this one was actually kind of funny because I believe this was after Blavatsky's death, but they like like one of the people uh who was leading the Theosophical Society found this young South Asian boy named Jiddu Krishnamurti and uh, they were basically using this child that they found as a puppet being like this is the new messiah like we will groom him into the perfect like theosophical messiah and then this young man grew up and realized what was going on and he pieced right out of that situation with these crazy westerners way to go dude yeah yeah and that caused some problems when you're propping up someone for years as your child messiah and then they're like nah i'm out it caused a couple problems in the uh and a couple splinterings within theosophy uh another gonna get to oh i was gonna talk about reincarnation and karma so another thing okay borrows from eastern religions is the idea of karma and reincarnation uh, and she definitely, like, thinks of reincarnation as, like, a 
like you are earning points for your next life, basically, right? It's like if you do, do good things in this life, then you get to have a good life the next life. This can be problematic <laughs> when people like are suffering or are born into unfortunate circumstances. Like if your religion teaches that that's all based on past deeds, then you can be like, oh, well, you're poor because you were a bad person in a previous life. Anything so. that ascribes an, a currently living individual to sins that occurred before their birth is problematic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, the we, ta- we talked a bit about the Akashic Record when we were talking about anthrop- anthroposophy. They definitely like attribute that to this like reincarnation bit too. that like the Akashic record has all of this information about past lives. So like even the spinoff religions go further into this. And uh, this is my least favorite thing about theosophy is their belief in root races. Mm -hmm. It's the worst part. These, the people like, I want to like, give the benefit of the doubt to like the original people like Blavatsky, because I think they were trying to go about equality in the only way they knew how to at the time. And they just wanted to be included in the club of like civilization founders, but it's just not that way. And it's deeply uncomfortable. I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sigh <laughs> yeah um, it's also I like even... a lot of the stuff that she wrote about race isn't as problematic as like what people took her writings and made mm-hmm. them do um because she i mean there's a lot of quotes of her saying that like all men are the same and like mm-hmm. that she even though she thinks about these root re- races that she thinks that they are equal she does go to the trouble of like naming which ones came along first second Mm -hmm. whatever but Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's more like people like kind of ran with some stuff after her more so um Mm -hmm. she was more in the appropriation versus the outright like racism camp yeah she was definitely more in the like the noble savage tradition of things like, oh, we need to look at these, you know, indigenous or um, Eastern beliefs that are closer to, which she believed were closer to like the root races. But after her death, people were like, ooh, Aryan race, yay. (laughs) Yeah, we love being the special race. And we think that all this hierarchy is great. And there is a deeply uncomfortable link between like this Aryan identity and Indian nationalism as well and caste hierarchy. It's, it's, I don't, I don't like it. And it also like reinforces like Orientalism in this time period of like the late 1800s and early 1900s really reinforced colonial hierarchies as well. It's, it's, it's all bad. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that early theosophy was, like, kind of puritanical. They, like, really promoted chastity and didn't think that you should have sex before you get married, which is really different than a lot of other occult 
religions that we have taken a look at. They kind of drop that. That kind of isn't isn't still part of it um, in the the like there there is a spinoff that is like Christian theosophy and that it's a part of that. Right. Because, of course, they're like Mm -hmm. directly Christians are prudes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I I just thought that was interesting that they are specifically like chastity. Um, And also Mm -hmm. in England, there is a really strong link between first wave feminism and theosophy. Mm. Um, So I was wondering if like the chastity aspect kind of came from that maybe that because like that is something that happens with first wave feminism and women's rights. Like feminists Mm -hmm. were really anti drinking and like we're women getting the right to vote is like one of the reasons why prohibition comes about in the united states because mm-hmm. people were getting beaten when their husbands were right. uh so there are some like liberal movements that have conservative social values associated with them just because of like overcompensation for yeah societies are complicated and they had different problems and they conceived of different solutions back in the day yeah, it's interesting. And, and when you look at history too, there's always an oscillation between like sexual liberation and sexual repression. Like you see that a lot in Roman history. It'll bounce back and forth between like an emperor who doesn't care who you're sleeping with and emperors who don't think you should be having affairs with attractive boys in the bathhouses, which every Roman man of status did. <laughs> And it's interesting, too, because like you said, there's these first wave feminists who have their roots in theosophy who were teetotalers and prohibitionists um, for for legitimate reasons. Like it was causing alcoholism was causing problem in their lives. And also the decision to not have sex is sexual agency. Yeah. Um, And I mean, if you talk about sex before marriage being like a sin and it's more stigmatized, like gonna cut down on like some rape situations that might be occurring in society so right and then you have like the other direction um interesting these are both led by men but like Crowley and Jack Parsons were very much into the polyamory free love thing mm-hmm. and you see that too in American um spiritualism too like there's a lot of teetotalers and there's a lot of free love people as well yeah, it's interesting. Like I, said, like I said, revolutionary ideas attract extremists on both the conservative and the liberal side. Generally, extremism is a horseshoe or a pendulum. That's really all I have to say on the topic of theosophy. Have you got anything else? Uh, that's about it. Feel free to like read more. They have some rituals and like specific mm-hmm. stuff that they do and like you know group meetups church mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it but that's pretty much all i wanted to read about it <laughs> yeah people love rituals and uh community is important to humans but uh maybe we should investigate our systems of power and see if they are actually ascribing to the values that they laid out because a lot of times those that those two don't stay aligned yeah yeah theosophy very interesting definitely give their little symbol a google it's a real doozy it is not good graphic design 
It's bad. There's a lot going on. Not as bad as Crowley's work, but still pretty bad. <laughs> anyway, that's about it for us. We are going to promote some stuff and be on our way. I guess I will kick that off. I have a lot going on right now. I am. I will. Ha- I have kits available for the Kino Cal. If you need a really fun adventure of a project, um, it comes with everything but the pattern. I think it's dope. I didn't think it was too hard, and the results are beautiful and graphic and poppy. And my whole Rebellion collection will be debuting mid-August. I have tons of Star Wars-themed yarn in my shop that you can go get right now. I will also be doing kits for the Sierra Nevada Yarn Crawl, which I think y'all are going to like. Go like go watch our office hours if you want to hear what's going on with that. And you have some stuff, too. I have launched the Zodiac pins, if you are listening to this. Hooray! You can get them on our website. You can buy individual pins or you can buy the whole big three pack to make your own little zodiac chart out of pins. And we're recording this in the past, so my lovely assistant Sarah is back there counting the pins right now. So I don't know how many I have to put online. And yeah, they're very cute. Uh, They're very small. They look good on like a bag as like a little display of your chart. And there's stickers of all of the zodiac symbols as well if you want to like do a little notebook cover with your chart i think that would be pretty cute this reminds me i need to actually order sun and moon stickers i need to put that on my to-do list and yeah fantastic and the um pins are the same size as your merit badge ones so roughly quarter size no they are smaller than the magical merit oh fun yeah, they're a little bit smaller. And that is because the little mini, they, they like look about the same size with the mini pins, you know? So, mm-hmm. but yeah, the actual Zodiac signs are a little bit smaller. They're like three quarters of an inch. They're so cute. I love them. They're very adorable. So yay, if you are looking to find out more information about us or more information about anything we talked about in this show, you can just head on over to fibercoven.com. That will have links to show notes for this episode and all of our other episodes. It will have links to Emily's merch and patterns as well as my yarns and our Patreon where we have a whole nother podcast where we ramble about nerd stuff and business stuff. And you also, if you're a patron, get access to our really rad Discord group where we have crafty hangouts and it's a fun time. So fibercoven.com for all your fiber coven needs. And until next week, keep making yarn magic. Bye. Bye. Bye.